DOS was the dominant operating system on personal computers for two decades. Today we're going to talk about where it came from and why it was so popular. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. Well, this week, Dave, we're going to talk about the DOS operating system. So let's start at the beginning. What's the origin story of DOS? Well, we actually have to go before DOS to really talk about DOS, because DOS came from something. DOS came from CPM. CPM was the first mass distributed personal computer operating system. It was used on more than just one manufacturer's computers. It was developed originally by Gary Kildall in 1974, and then it continued to be developed by his company Digital Research. So it became the first operating system standard for personal computers. And by the way, we previously talked about the origin story of personal computers in our previous episode, The Personal Computer Revolution, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. So CPM was a standard. It was the operating system you would get if you were serious about business computing. And some early personal computing platforms would have versions of CPM that ran on it. Even the Apple II had a special card that allowed you to run CPM programs. CPM, though, was mainly developed for the Z80 microprocessor. The Z80 microprocessor was very popular amongst early microcomputers, but... When the IBM PC came out, which we covered in our previous episode about why the IBM PC was a big deal, which I'll also put to in the show notes, it did not use a Z80 microprocessor. It used the Intel 8088, which was a derivative of the Intel 8086. These were 16-bit microprocessors. They were a new generation of microprocessors that needed new software to be built for them. And that company, Gary Kildall's Digital Research, was late in getting a version of CPM out for this new family of microprocessors. So this left an opening for a new operating system. Here's what happened. IBM went to Microsoft. Microsoft was the dominant player in personal computer language systems. So they would build, for example, the basic interpreters for a lot of early personal computers, including from Apple and from IBM. So IBM came to them and they said, hey, um, what should we do about an operating system? Because IBM was trying to create their new IBM PC out of industry standard parts and industry standard software. Microsoft said, you should go talk to Gary Kildall. Here's how the story goes, and there is some controversy about whether the story is true. The Microsoft representatives went out to meet on the West Coast. Now, IBM's based in New York, and uh, Digital Research is out on the West Coast. They go out to meet with Gary Kildall. When they get there, he's not there. His wife is there, and his wife works in the business with him. And supposedly, and again, there's some controversy about whether or not this is true, he was out flying his plane And, you know, was just missing the meeting, basically. I've heard in some sources that he was actually out meeting with customers. So he had a very legitimate reason to be out flying his plane. Anyway, they get there and his wife doesn't feel comfortable signing the non-disclosure agreement without him there. This frustrates the IBM representatives and it kind of sets the relationship on a bad course. Eventually, they go on to actually make an agreement with Microsoft. So they go back to Microsoft, even though Microsoft had originally actually steered them to Digital Research and Gary Kildall. They go back to Microsoft and they say, well, uh, is there something you can do? And Microsoft knows about a local company. Now, Microsoft is based up around the Seattle area, a local company that's building an operating system that's actually a clone of CPM for these new 16-bit microprocessors from Intel. 
They're called Seattle Computer. Microsoft goes and sub-licenses this operating system, and eventually they actually just buy it outright for not that much money in the scheme of things. Actually, I think the total they paid was $75,000, which was more money back in 1980, but it was still nothing like the amount of money they would make on Microsoft DOS. So they go and they, they get this operating system that's basically a clone of CPM, and there were court cases about whether or not it was literally copied from CPM or was it really just similar to CPM. And that eventually becomes the operating system that ships with the IBM PC. And of course, we know the IBM PC went on to be extremely successful. And Microsoft did a very smart thing. When they licensed DOS to IBM, they said, well, you know what? We want to be able to license it to other people. And IBM said, well, we think the money's in the hardware, so we don't mind if you're going to make some more money on the software here. But what happened is a lot of other manufacturers would go and create computers that were compatible with the IBM PC, allowing them, therefore, to also run Microsoft DOS. And this is how Microsoft went from being a language company, making basic interpreters, compilers for other languages, to being the operating system company of the last four decades. So DOS was really the enabler of that. And quickly, within the next couple of years, they licensed Microsoft DOS to many other manufacturers beyond just IBM. Manufacturers like Compaq, for example, that were some of the first to create IBM PC clones. And so Microsoft DOS went on to supplant CPM as the standard operating system on personal computers. Is DOS an acronym for anything? DOS stands for Disk Operating System. One thing that was new about these this new generation of personal computers coming out in the early 80s is that they all ran off of disk instead of just off of ROM or off of some more primitive kinds of media. So it was just a common acronym, disk operating system. There were actually disk operating systems, quote unquote, that were not compatible with Microsoft's DOS that came out from other manufacturers. For example, Apple had an operating system called ProDOS that came out for the Apple II. And there were versions of a quote-unquote DOS for many other manufacturers as well. So it was actually just an industry acronym. But when people use the word DOS today, they generally mean specifically Microsoft DOS, which ran on all of these IBM PC-compatible computers. What's Microsoft DOS's relationship to Windows? Yeah, that's a very interesting story as well. So Microsoft DOS and the similar versions of DOS that came out from IBM, there was actually an IBM version called PC DOS, which was built in parallel with Microsoft DOS. They were basically the same thing. Later on in the 1990s, they would diverge a little bit. But anyway, Microsoft DOS was a command line interface operating system. And we talked previously, and I'll link to this episode in the show notes too, about how computer user interfaces have evolved over time. But at the time, most computers were using command line interfaces where all the commands would be typed in and the responses you would get would be textual. There was a movement in the 1980s for personal computers to begin to move to graphical user interfaces. And that had already existed as a concept now for over a decade by the mid-1980s. But the first mass-produced graphical user interface machine was the Apple Macintosh. It comes out in 1984. We did a previous episode on it as well. We've done a lot of previous episodes <laughs> now, Rebecca. Anyway, uh, so the Mac comes out. It actually comes out in 84, and Windows, the first version, comes out in 85. So Windows is Microsoft's attempt to bring a graphical user interface to IBM PC-compatible computers. Now, the first version of Windows was not a standalone operating system. It actually lived on top of 
Microsoft DOS. So you would already have DOS and then you would install Windows to work on top of that DOS installation. Now, this led to several needs for backwards compatibility that would somewhat hobble Windows in some ways for quite a while. And the first version of Microsoft Windows was not as elegant as the original Macintosh and was not even as elegant as some of the other graphical user interfaces that were out at the time. And so it was not a very successful product. So Windows 1.0 comes out in 85. It wouldn't be until the early 1990s with the Windows 3 series that Microsoft's Windows really started to be a major player in the operating system space. Microsoft Windows 1.0 and 2.0 throughout the late 1980s just were not really capturing people's imagination. And if people wanted a graphical user interface-based computer, they would look other places than in IBM PC compatibles. So Microsoft DOS continued to therefore be the dominant user interface and operating system of the 1980s through to the early 90s. And if you think about the fact that Microsoft Windows was actually built on top of Microsoft DOS, Microsoft DOS would live on on personal computers all the way up until the late 1990s because Windows was always just on top of DOS. So if you had Windows, you also had DOS. Mm -hmm. Let's go back a little bit. Digital Research did come out with with CPM for the IBM computer. That's correct. So CPM did eventually come out for 16-bit microprocessors, including the IBM PC. And so consumers actually had a choice. They could get a PC with DOS or they could get a PC with CPM. The issue was CPM was a little bit late. And also they had this kind of rocky relationship with IBM between digital research and IBM. And they came out with it for a lot more money. And I think IBM had some place in dictating what these prices were. So you could get PC-DOS for $40, or you could get CPM for $240. Quite a difference. And remember, MS-DOS was derived from 86-DOS developed by Seattle Computer, which was a clone of CPM. So it was really a very similar operating system. So unless you had some need to specifically run CPM software, why would you spend all of that extra money and not just get MS-DOS? So starting on the wrong foot with digital research ended up having really bad implications for the long-term viability of the company. And they would survive actually through to the early 1990s. How did DOS change over time? Yeah, the interesting thing is DOS didn't really change that much over time. They would add support for new hardware. For example, DOS 2.0 added better support for hard drives. They would add support for different kinds of disks. They would add support for some kind of primitive multitasking. They would add support for CD-ROM drives eventually. So yes, they added support for new kinds of hardware, but somebody who knew how to use DOS in 1981 would be perfectly comfortable using all the same commands and getting a general feel for a computer that ran DOS in the 1990s. It really did not change that much. Microsoft was putting all of its future attention into Windows. They saw the future as graphical user interfaces, but as we talked about before, it was gonna take a while for them to get there. Now, at the same time, they did start looking into replacements for these DOS foundations, because we talked about DOS being underneath those versions of Microsoft Windows all the way up through Microsoft Windows Me. So what did they do? First, they had a collaborative project with IBM on an operating system called OS2. Now, for various technical and business reasons, that relationship went sour, and Microsoft started their own internal project for a replacement for their operating system. And this led to Windows NT. Now, Windows NT came out in the 1990s, 
and its kernel, the center of the operating system, would eventually be the basis for all future versions of Windows. The consumer lines of Windows would continue to be based on DOS all the way up through Windows Me. So we're talking about Windows 3, 3.1, Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows Me. These were all based on DOS. But then there were the NT line, which were mainly for workstations and servers, Windows NT 3.5, Windows NT 4, and then Windows 2000 and Windows XP. They finally unified the lines under Windows XP. XP ran the NT kernel. It was based on Windows NT. It had some facilities in place to be backwards compatible with software that was out for the DOS line of Windows. And it was made for both professionals and for regular consumers. So they finally unified Windows and got rid of that DOS legacy, starting with Windows XP, which I believe came out in the year 2001. Let's talk about the legacy of DOS. One of the interesting things about DOS is that it was not actually a very influential operating system on the operating systems that came out after it. Even though it was the dominant personal computer operating system, at some points, more than 90% of all personal computers sold ran DOS. The operating systems that came after it were all based on more sophisticated designs. If we think about things like modern Mac OS, it's a derivative of Unix. If we think about Linux, it's also a derivative of Unix in a sense. If we think about modern Windows, Windows comes from this separate line of computing, Windows NT. So DOS kind of stalled. It was incredibly dominant at the time but it didn't influence the operating systems in a strong way that came after it, except for in the sense that modern Windows continues to have backwards compatibility with DOS programs. If we think about CPM, we could actually say that CPM was incredibly influential because CPM leads to DOS, and DOS is very much a clone of CPM. So you could say CPM was incredibly influential because it led to something else, but DOS doesn't really lead to something else. It's kind of a dead end as an operating system. That said, there's a modern version of DOS created by the open source community called FreeDOS. The reason this really exists is mainly for people to be able to run older programs. For example, maybe you have some games that you want to run that were written for DOS, or maybe you have some embedded hardware that was meant to run with DOS that now runs with FreeDOS. So FreeDOS is used mainly for running older software rather than for developing new software. Microsoft itself stopped developing DOS in the late 1990s. So DOS in many ways is very much a dead end. It was just not sophisticated enough to really support modern hardware and modern types of applications. One thing we haven't talked about a lot was what DOS was like from a software architecture perspective. It was an operating system in the sense that it abstracted away the hardware for the computer programmer. However, a lot of people who wrote programs for DOS tended to write programs that would also directly access the hardware, and they would do this for performance reasons. For that reason, it was very important that PC compatibles use the same hardware even if they ran DOS. So it wasn't just that we had to run DOS for us to be compatible with the IBM PC. We also had to use basically the same off-the-shelf hardware, or at least hardware that was a clone of the same off-the-shelf hardware, for our programs to be compatible because it was so common for programmers to tap into those lower levels directly and not just rely on DOS's abstractions for performance reasons. What kind of hardware were we talking about back in 1981? Well, hardware that was really primitive compared to the hardware that DOS was running on in the mid-1990s. So DOS actually in some ways was holding things back by being such a primitive operating system, an operating system that was really developed for another time, but still being used throughout the 1990s. 
Is there anything else our listeners should know about DOS? Well, I would really encourage our listeners to try out a DOS emulator, especially if they never use DOS themselves. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to an online emulator that you can use right in your web browser that actually runs a real version of DOS on an emulated IBM PC right in your web browser. This is how most people used computers for almost two decades. So it really gives you a good insight into the history of personal computers spending some time with this emulator. And you might not be that impressed. Uh, You might really say, wow, that was pretty primitive. You know, the graphics at the time that the IBM PC came out, there was a standard called CGA. And CGA only supported a few colors and it only supported some really primitive resolutions. So even if you'd have a game or you'd have some kind of graphical app that was running on top of DOS, it would really not be able to do much because the hardware was really just not that capable. So spend some time with this original IBM PC emulator running DOS and get a sense of just how far we've come. I think you'll be really amazed. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us this week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe in your podcast player of choice so you get future episodes from us. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening.